Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to another shorter episode of Unnatural. Is that what we're calling it? I thought it was the mini-sode, summer-sode bonus episode. Well, I figured by the second one we would have a name figured out. Nope. So, Emily, Yo. this this one is something that I've been thinking about for quite some time. And sometimes when you're a big fish in a small pond, your mere presence kind of garners unwanted and unprovoked attention. And that was the case for 27-year-old TV news anchor Jody Hoosentrude. Now, this case might be the reason for me why I became a true crime junkie myself. I was just a little 12-year-old kid when this went down, and I've honestly been drawn to it ever since because things keep coming out over the years. And like we're about to hear, I'm not the only person. Over 26 years later, people still haven't given up on finding Jody Who's in Truth. Emily, are you ready to go down this rabbit hole? I am so ready. I've never been more ready, Andy. Well, let's do it. So Jody was born and grew up in the town of Long Prairie, Minnesota, which I had never heard of before, but it's about two hours northwest of the Twin Cities. She went to nearby St. Cloud State for college and graduated with a degree in mass communications in 1990. Like many different professions in television, you kind of have to work your way from the bottom up in order to get where you want to go. And the town of Mason City, Iowa is about as bottom as you can get. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just one of the smaller markets in the entire country that has its own television station. The TV station is called KIMT. It's a CBS affiliate. Kimt. And she, yeah, Kimt. She, <laughs> she worked there as a morning news anchor. It was her first big break. And when you work on a morning show as an anchor, let me tell you, you got to get up ridiculously early in the morning. And she had to be there at 4 a.m. every single day. Yeah, gross. And she had to like be fully dressed, fully yeah. hair and makeup. Well, she had to take her hair dryer with her yeah. and had to kind of do herself up while she was there getting ready. But on the morning of June 27th, 1995, 4 a.m. came and went and she still hadn't shown up to the station. So her producer 
a woman by the name of Amy Coons, called her apartment to kind of check in to see what was going on. Now, Jody actually answered and she explained, hey, I overslept. Sorry, I'll be there shortly. Oh, wow. So everything, yeah, everything seemed fine, except she wasn't there shortly. In fact, Amy Coons had to fill in for Jody on the morning show that day. So red flag. Yeah. At 7 a.m., the TV station called the Mason City Police and they went out to her apartment to check things out. Jody had a very recognizable red Mazda Miata and police spotted it right away in her apartment's parking lot. Now, they also found some of Jody's personal items like her car keys, a hairdryer, hairspray, and even one of her shoes. This was all strewn across the ground near her vehicle. So obviously it indicated that a struggle had taken place. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say they found that like in her apartment. No, but speaking of her apartment, the only tiny shred of evidence that they found of the assailants, first of all, was a palm print on the side of her car. And as local authorities checked the inside of her apartment, all seemed normal except for one thing, Emily. Now tell me if you think this is a little weird. The toilet seat was left up. Now, she was a single woman living alone, so that definitely made people scratch their heads a bit. Mm -hmm. Does that seem weird to you? Well, yeah. I mean, me as a woman, the only reason why I ever lift up the toilet seat is when I'm cleaning the toilet. Right. But I, I put it back down. Or if your son happens to be in there or something. Well, yeah, he leaves the toilet seat up all the time. But I'm just speaking, <laughs> right. let's pretend I don't have boys in my house. Right. <laughs> yeah, boys are notorious for that. But neighbors did in- report to investigators that they heard screaming around the time of Jody's disappearance. And even one neighbor identified a white van leaving the scene. Why is it always a white van? Damn, Daniel. Back at it again with the white van. <laughs> Why is it always a white van in these situations? The white van was never identified, by the way. So it was another one of those cases of a red herring with a white van. But residents of the quiet Iowa town immediately began to ask the obvious question. Who would do something like this? But 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 her neighbors heard screaming. Yeah. In a generally... <sighs> Quiet neighborhood. Quiet neighborhood, and nobody said or did anything about it? Nope. They didn't call the police. They didn't respond until the police started investigating this. Now, that question alone has led investigators on a chase that's really spanned the globe with some really bizarre leads. Was she dating anybody? Well, that's what we'll get into. But it was the boyfriend. That's what you might think. But this this whole case has lasted over a quarter century. And one question remains. Where is Jody Hoosentrude? And what the hell happened to her on that June morning in Mason City?
So when Jody went missing, her mother Jane, along with her two older sisters, were kind of at the forefront of the search. Jane really dedicated the rest of her life to finding out what happened to her daughter, as you might imagine a mother would. And a wide array of theories as to who may have abducted her that morning have kind of gone into local legend in the area, including one reports this happened over 10 years ago, indicating that she had been living a secret life in Australia for over a decade. Mm. Now that never went anywhere. And you know how conspiracy theories are, Emily. They go in all different kinds of directions. And when a case... What day of the week was this? Yeah, so this is was a Tuesday morning. This was a weekday morning. So, obvious... I, I have a theory. Okay. What's your theory? Well, I mean, just with the information that I have yeah. now. Okay. And I don't really know a whole lot about who she was as a person. But... Mm-hmm. I would venture a guess that, I mean, she wasn't one to oversleep and be late. Right. Right. So the toilet seat was up in her apartment. I think, for now, that maybe she had a gentleman caller Mm -hmm. the night before, and that was why she overslept. That was why the toilet seat was left up. Right. And then she leaves and goes to work, and maybe he was not so much of a gentleman at all, and he and he was involved in um, nefarious things, and mm-hmm. his homies in the white van snatched her because she was his target. Well, I will say there's about 400 conspiracy theories that go on with this case, and... Is that one of them? It's the obvious one, I feel like. It's kind of one of them. Given the information we have. That's close to one of them, but there's some bigger ones as well. There's actually little evidence that exists as to what may have occurred that morning. But part of this might be because the sloppy police work that was involved here. They didn't even tape off her apartment, though. What? As a crime scene. And also, they didn't even have her car for very long either. It was given back to her family a short time later. You would think that they would do their due diligence there. So there was some sloppy police work involved here, and that may have cost the investigation in the long run. How many times and how many cases have we heard, especially from, well, I mean, even now, but I feel like mostly in the 90s and before police work was just yeah sloppy yeah it happened a lot more back then and there wasn't as many checks and balances back then and i think that was probably part of the reason why we saw a lot more of that go down back in the 90s and before that but right i feel like if scenes back then were processed Mm -hmm. even similarly to how they are now and evidence was collected and saved I feel like a lot more of these unsolved could have been solved by now. Yeah. There was a lot there's a lot more accountability right now. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with just the information age that we live in. And speaking of unsolved mysteries, yeah, this this case was actually featured on Unsolved Mysteries back in the 1990s and 
one of the main persons of interest since the beginning was a local businessman. His name was John Van Sice, and he was actually one of the last people who saw Jody alive. I don't even know what this guy looks like, but a name like that, that's, that's just, he's got a sus name. Well, he has quite the story here. All right, let's do it. I know. And here's the thing. Don't judge a book by its cover because... I'm judging. <laughs> there's a lot of ins and outs here, <laughs> Emily. And the night before she was abducted, she went over to his house to watch a local movie of a birthday party for her that he threw for her a few weeks before. Oh, so that's why. Yeah, he threw her a birthday party, which is, I don't know, kind of weird. Also, just a week before her death, she went water skiing with him. Keep in mind, he was 22 years older than her. You know. A little weird. A little bit weird. Now, if, the same day. How much day, money did he have? Uh, I, it seems like he had some a decent amount of money. Well, now, It is just a number when he's got money. <laughs> Now, the same day that she was water skiing with John, her and her friend happened to meet two other gentlemen around their same age. And they actually spent time on a boat of one of those guys for a number of hours. And apparently, the cold case investigators concluded later that John wasn't super enthused about this. Hmm. He was a little ticked off. He was jelly. But here's something else that kind of throws a wrench into things. She was actually videotaped joking around and drinking on that boat with those other guys. But sadly, that videotape has never publicly been released. And investigators still have the tape. And the man's name who owned the boat has never been released as well, which I don't know. You would think at some point they would release his name, but maybe they didn't find any validity to it. I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? And there's even been speculation that the man actually had lured other women onto his boat and videotaped them as well. So that's kind of sus. A little bit sus. Epstein. (laughs) Right? All right. So back to John Van Sice in 27. John Van Sus. You're still thinking he's sus here. Okay. So in 2017, investigators actually issued a warrant to search his vehicles for their GPS data. Yes, they should. But they found nothing conclusive. Now, maybe this was because it was over 20 years later. I'm not sure. But also in 2017, he was actually subpoenaed to appear in court in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Now, He thought he was going to receive some airfare from his home in Arizona, which is where he lived at the time, to fly to Iowa, but the tickets never came. So instead of failing to show up and looking all guilty as hell, he and his wife actually drove nearly 2,000 miles to Iowa to make that court appearance in one day. And it's weird because they didn't even ask him to give testimony. They just wanted a DNA swab, and they fingerprinted him. Hmm which is strange to me. Um, Now, one person who did testify was John Van Sice's friend, LaDonna, who used to go on morning walks with John. Now, remember what time it's suspected that Jody was abducted? It was around 4 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. Well, LaDonna called John on his landline at 6 to confirm that they were walking that morning and all seemed fine. 
And in fact, just an hour later, they went on their morning walk again, and everything seemed normal to LaDonna. He didn't he didn't seem to be exhibiting any anxiety or anything like that. Because he's a sociopath. He just sleeps fine at night after he gets people abducted. Well, remember, this is only a couple hours after she was apparently abducted. But Yeah, there's time. Sadly, it was reported that Van Sice, who these days is in his 70s and living in Arizona, as we mentioned, has an aggressive case of Alzheimer's disease. So we may never know exactly what he knows about Jody's disappearance. There's also several people, including Jody's close family members, that believed that she was being stalked at the time. She even told people that she was close to about an incident in which a black truck followed her while she was running. And this was about six or seven months before her abduction. And... Yeah, that could be a coincidence, but to make her uncomfortable enough to tell multiple people about it, it must have been something that was kind of left an indelible mark on her. Yeah. Well, and like you like you said, I think you said this, that, you know, news anchors, radio personalities kind of become little local celebrities. Mm-hmm. And she was beautiful, you know? So I hate... Yeah, she was. I really hate to say it but you know i it really wouldn't be she had a lot of admirers yeah and that black truck it popped up a few more times throughout the months and there were even times that jody actually requested and received a police escort to and from work which look i've been to mason city That's enough to get everybody talking right there. It's not a very big town, and you don't get a lot of police escorts in Mason City, Iowa. That's for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, the people are going to be talking. Jody was even so worried about her own well-being that she took a self-defense class in town. She finished it just a few months before she was abducted, and she even wrote a letter to her friend in which she talked about how worried she was about being stalked. And get this, the letter, it arrived to her friend the same day that she went missing. Oh, my God. Pretty crazy. Imagine being her friend. Yeah. And getting that and then just hours later find out that she's been missing. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's what I think. Okay, so small town beautiful girl who's in the public eye, creepy men who feel like they know her and probably know where she lives because, again, small town, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the perfect storm. In my opinion, there could have been several creepy guys lingering around in her life or maybe it could be something else entirely. John Van Suss? Maybe something completely different than John Van Suss. So Jody, as we mentioned was an investigative reporter. And shortly before she vanished... Ooh, was it a hit? Well, was it somebody that she was reporting on? She had been looking into a case in which a friend of hers had died. <gasps> His name was Billy Pruin. And just over two months before Jody was abducted, he was found with a gunshot wound to his chest, dead. Oh, no. And by the way, Emily, his case is still cold to this day. Ugh. Now, also another theory out there, uh, here's something. A few years ago, a billboard was up in Mason City asking people to reach out to a website 
The website is called findjody.com. It's been around for about 20 years now. And the website asks to reach out to them if they have any information on the case. Well, somebody got up there on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago and painted, spray painted the name Frank Stearns Machine Shed all over the billboard. Who's that? Exactly. So who is Frank Stearns? Well, according to KIMT's website, remember KMT was the station she worked for. Mm -hmm. Here's how it went down. They said, quote, cold case investigator Steve Ridge says two adults dressed in dark clothing parked in a rear alley behind a tattoo parlor. They hoisted an aluminum ladder in place at 1130 p.m. on New Year's Eve a few years ago. One subject held the ladder while the other sprayed Frank Stearns in large letters and Machine Shed in smaller print. Ridge said dozens of cars passed within feet of the billboard as it was being vandalized. In addition, Ridge says the parking lot of the adjacent bar was full of cars and trucks at the time, so numerous people saw this happen. Now, Mason City Police Lieutenant Frank Stearns Mm -hmm. underwent... Yeah, he was part of the police department. Mm. He underwent public scrutiny back in 2011 when a former Mason City police officer claimed that he and two other law enforcement officers may have had some kind of involvement in who's in truth's disappearance and also her cover up. God damn it, Frank. So at the time, an official investigation found no validity to these claims he, mm-hmm. he has since retired yeah. from the Mason City Police Department. Now, these days, it is believed that he's still working as a uh, death scene investigator for the city. Again, no arrests have been made of Frank's turns in the Who's in Truth case, but that's just yet another wrench to throw into this case. And by the way, I am leaving out about... 15 to 20 other conspiracy theories that are are going around right now as we speak. There's too much to delve into, but the point is her body has not been found and nobody to this day knows what happened to Jody Husentrude. Now, she was declared legally dead in 2001. Sadly, as we mentioned before, you know how her mom had been searching for years and years for her Well, her mom died in 2014. Her older sister, Joanne, has kind of taken up that mantle, and she's still holding out hope. She was on 48 Hours a few years ago talking about this, and a new billboard went up in Mason City just a few short weeks ago, actually. And here's what the billboard reads. It reads, quote, Don't sit in silence. The time to talk is now. With a website to the address findjody.com listed below. Now, as I mentioned before, findjody.com is a great website. They've been up and running for about 20 years now, and they even have a podcast themselves that delves much deeper into kind of the details and the minutia that we haven't gotten into. Again, that website name is findjody.com. But as you can see, Emily, it's it's not just the whole John Van Sice thing. There's a lot of ins and outs of this case. John Van Sice. <laughs> Lots of ins and outs, though, and we may never know what happened to TV anchor Jody Husentrue, which is 
a shame. It's it's something that's left a giant mark on that area, and who knows what went down there. There's so many options. Yeah. Well, I I honestly didn't know even know her name to be honest until you said that you wanted to cover yeah. her case, and I was like, cool beans. And then I re- I told you about this. I'm pretty sure. Like a few months ago, I was at um, my mom's house and my mom knew about this. Yeah. And it came up because they, there was another girl who was murdered in the area and in the mall parking lot. Yeah. And that was unsolved. Yep. Until just recently, they caught the guy with some DNA and they suspected him for a little Mm -hmm. while in Jody's disappearance. Yeah. And and again, that's just one of a myriad of things that have kind of popped up. Yeah. There were a few other... I was really hoping that it was low-key, high-key, was really hoping that it was him and her family mm-hmm. and the world could have gotten some closure because I was like hanging around on yeah. Reddit and even on Twitter. Her name, I've noticed her name comes up a lot on those unsolved yeah. cases that people just really want solved. Yep. And it's. I think it's because she was a local kind of celebrity, as we mentioned before. And yeah. it's just one of those weird things where somebody, I believe it was somebody that just had an unhealthy obsession with her. And but why would the toilet seat be up? I don't, and like nothing else was amiss right? inside her apartment. That's why I feel like So it, you... Th- so you're going back to that. And a lot of people, they, they point to the investigation that she was doing on her friend. Some people say John Van Syce. Some say, you know, other men that she had met in her life. She actually had been a, on a cruise with her mom a few months before and met a guy there on the cruise. And some people thought it was maybe him. There are just so many branches to this story yeah. that... It's almost impossible to figure out what leads to take, especially all these years later. But I think the main thing to take from this case is investigators could have done a much better job in the beginning, and maybe they would have found a suspect had they ran a tighter ship. I agree. And by the way, her mom, to the day she died, her mom thought that she was dumped into a local lake and that's where she remains to this day. Had said lake ever been searched? Not really. It had never been drained or anything like that. So mm-hmm. who knows? Again, so many different theories to go with in this case. But the point is, it's still out there. And somebody knows something to yeah. this day. And I encourage you to go to the website, findjody.com. Lots of great information there. And again, they have a fantastic podcast that you can listen to. I'm definitely going to so, listen to it. Yeah. Check it out. So that's, I'm super into this now. Yeah. You should be. I mean, it's one of those whodunit kind of cases. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Unnatural, Emily. Now, we still have uh, a little while to go before we start season two. We do. But... We still have come a hang, lot going on I over on our socials. I have recently become a big fan of Twitter. So come hang out with us there. We are at Unnatural the Pod. 
Um, I'm still posting stories and pictures and fun stuff on the Instagram. That's Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. We have a Gmail. If you have any crazy stories about hauntings, being stalked, creepy guys in your messages, any sort of just wacky, crazy story, send it to us. Let us know. Tell us about it. We want to hear about it. You can send us a Gmail at unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would be so inclined to support us in more than just listening, you can sign up for our Patreon where we post ad-free episodes, bonus content, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. See you later, guys and gals and ghouls. Goodbye. See you next time. That's all you're going to say. Make good choices and don't hang out with people named John Van Sus who will for sure abduct you and kill you. One of those who done it kind of cases. Who? Right. Is it whomst? Whomst. <laughs> That's one of my favorite words. Whomst. Is whomst technically a word? I don't think it is. It was and whomst. see because I got no, I got into an argument. I'm with going some, on to my Google. No, I got into an argument with somebody about this. Was it an ex-boyfriend? No, it was like a stranger on the internet. A stranger? Okay, hold on. Humst. Humstdorf. Humstdorf. It, 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 it. is defined as for times when you want to ask whom or whom, but need a fancier connotation. X. Francois dropped his caviar in the toilet. Humist would do such a thing. Humist. <laughs> okay, I guess it exists. Mm-hmm.
Cowabunga.